0: moved around a lot and I just wanted somewhere to call my own, somewhere to hang up a painting or paint a wall or just do something. So really, my primary drivers for property was just as a home.
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Taran Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with chartered civil engineer Darren Flynn. We hear about his international travels and how they shaped him as a person and an investor, the unusual approach he took to lecturing at university, the language he found himself fluent in and so much more. Flynn shares his professional background and gives an overview of the countries he's found himself working in.
0: I'm Darren Flynn. I'm a a chartered civil engineer. Uh, I've been working in uh, infrastructure and development for over 20 years. Uh, My background uh, comes from pipes, pumps and concrete, uh, usually large water infrastructure. Uh, That's where I cut my teeth uh, in councils uh, with the water authorities and our large design and construction contracts. Uh, that led me into uh, development uh, and investment, uh, which uh, over the years um, has, you know, I've grown more knowledge and been able to apply that into my personal life uh, as well as my professional life. And really a lot of the fundamentals, I believe in investment, uh, engineering uh, and life um, you know, can you pick things up along the way that, you know, put you in good stead for the future and as long as you learn lessons on the way, you you, know, you seem to, um, you know, come up with things that you've had problems with before and you've got the answer because you've already been there, done that. So uh, I've lived overseas, uh, I've lived in um, Vietnam for four years, i lived in Canada, uh, working uh, in both those countries and, uh, and feel like I've... Um, had some, some amazing experiences there which have, have changed me overall.
1: Now that he's well and truly settled back in Australia, he describes a typical day in his waking life.
0: This morning I was up at 5am uh, doing some work uh, and then I, I actually travelled to the Hawkesbury to, um, I have a friend who's also a client, um, their property and eight of their neighbours' properties have been flooded inundated uh, due to um, a trap low area. Uh, so, you know, put the engineer hat on, I went out there, I had a look at how to fix the short-term issue, which is how to get rid of all the water. Uh, you can imagine, you know, eight to ten swimming pools of, of water um, trapped in a low-lying area. Uh, so I've literally just been to do that uh, and work out um, both short-term and long-term solutions and package up a position uh, to, you know, the authorities and council to try and find and navigate a way out I have this podcast. Uh, After this, I've got a client meeting uh, for a 1200 lot subdivision. Uh, And then, you know, I've got a hightail at home. uh, And then I've got a a few meetings this afternoon and some work I've got to get done. Uh, My day to day uh, changes. Uh, I work from home some days, I've got three young kids. Uh, So, you know, there's time set aside so my my wife and family can get away and do things they need to. Uh, There's also other days when I'm In the city uh, traveling out west uh, out in western sydney northern sydney southern sydney uh, visiting sites that i'll do due diligence on or in construction Uh, so my days usually are pretty jam-packed full of meetings tasks travel or site visits and i usually try and um, build my calendar around three weeks out Um, things are constantly changing uh, and constantly moving day to day Uh, but it gives me a lot of variety and and lets me have those touch points where I feel I can um, add the most value.
1: Taking a step back, we learn about Flynn's childhood, including his unusual household pet.
0: I was born in Western Sydney uh, and grew up in Western Sydney. Uh, I know the lie of the land out there quite well. Um, Moved to Brisbane uh, and back and forth a few times between Western Sydney and Western Brisbane uh, and then uh, predominantly thereafter um, in the Lower North Shore and then I moved down to the Southern Islands uh, for high school. So had country life. Uh, my dad got a donkey for his birthday uh, so we decided to move to the country so that we could um, <laughs> go, go have a little uh, potty farm. Uh, and, uh, and then thereafter, you know, I I moved out of home when I was 18, um, living around Sydney, uh, you know, in different apartments and share houses, uh, over the time. And, um, on reflection, seeing a lot of those get redeveloped, uh, and you're thinking, you know, if only I was buying when I was 18 and not renting, um, definitely a reflection point. Uh, and then, yeah, moving around uh, within Sydney, uh, as I said, I lived in Canada. I was a snowboard instructor there uh, and lived there for some time. And then I did a long stint in Vietnam uh, with, uh, with AusAid, as a, first as an Australian Youth Ambassador for Development, uh, which is a program run uh, by the Australian government for 18 to 30-year-olds for volunteer or paid volunteer places throughout the Asia-Pacific. Uh, and then as a a full-time employee uh, working on the Three Delta Towns uh, project which is a water supply and sanitation project in the Mekong Delta. Uh, And then moved back home, uh, got into property uh, and uh, had a family and continued my, my career until where I am now.
1: He takes us through his years at university describing the interesting gap year he took and how he calculated the cost of sleep
0: when i moved to sydney in those formative years i did a a bachelor of civil environmental engineering and a diploma of engineering practice Uh, that was a five-year degree uh, with a year of work experience which i worked three of those years Uh, i worked so i started my first job i was a dish pig uh, in a cafe cleaning dishes Uh, then moved to uh, you know running coffees then learning how to run the coffee machine Uh, and then you know, went from there to uh, bartending, uh, retail. Uh, before I moved to Canada, I was working four jobs um, to save up money so I could go away. Uh, I was at, um, at uni uh, and decided to take a gap year halfway through, which was one of the best things I think I ever did. I think it um, let me learn the value of money uh, more so. Uh, I remember that I'd come back after a year away, uh, you know, paying my way. Uh, and someone fell asleep in a lecture, and when they woke up, I promptly told them that they would currently lost $82.57, because that was a a pro relationship between how much it cost them for that semester per minute uh, and how long their sleep lasted during the lecture. Uh, So I was very cognizant of how how much things cost, uh, even if it was hex or otherwise, Uh, and it was that year away um, that made me, you know, always valued money, but then I really started breaking things down um, and wanted to learn. Uh, whereas I think before it was, I wasn't too sure where I wanted to go. So, uh, yeah, in any case, uh, that that put me in good stead. And then um, realizing there was a life after hospitality, I was invited to be a tutor uh, for an engineering subject, uh, which then turned into marking and tutoring, and then lecturing. So I'd lecture uh, three to five hundred students every week uh, for a subject. Uh, I did that for three years. Uh, I really enjoyed lecturing at uni, Uh, it was a valuable experience. I got to learn a lot about myself, but not only uh, the students and what they wanted to learn. Uh, The subject was very broad, it was for all engineering students. uh, And it gave me uh, the ability not just to undertake public speaking and be confident, Um, but to understand the pinch points um, of how people wanted to learn. Uh, I do remember one of the... It was just when uh, online was coming in as I was leaving uni and uh, growing up of a, a world without computers really in your face. I was very interested in computers, but there was one lecture when I started and I said, oh, look, all these slides will be online. And half the room, you know, proceeded to get up and leave. And then I said, but you do realise that none of this information in the slides will actually be in the exam. What I say in my spoken word and what I say verbally will be. And everyone promptly came back inside. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's how I run my lectures. Uh, The slides were just there just so someone could read, but it was the content uh, that was delivered in the lecture that got people interested and and I thought would at least make them stay and learn themselves. uh, Not just, um, you know, getting them wanting to learn rather than, picking up a piece of paper and what's written on it.
1: He leads us on his traveling journey that took him to Canada and Vietnam and reveals what it taught him about work and about life.
0: Canada was really just a gap year. Um, You know, I started, I was lucky to get a job at Whistler Kids uh, and then teaching kids how to snowboard. Um, That was probably a bit more of a... A fun young experience you know traveling overseas and you know I used to snowboard to work Uh, that was amazing and you know it was just more of a gap year. Uh, Vietnam uh, changed me dramatically as a person Um, that experience I was living in a small town six hours south of Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City I had a driver a car um, you know I worked seven days a week Uh, I worked you know, 70, 80 hours a week. Uh, the town I was working in was called um, Baklil. Uh, it's a town of about 150,000 people uh, with very poor water supply and sanitation. Uh, I built maybe $30 million worth of infrastructure, working under an a amazing mentor, uh, a very technical engineering manager, uh, which I was very fortunate to have come into my life. Uh, that taught me a lot technically uh, and in life. And I also was exposed to property, uh, because a lot of the works that we're undertaking, uh, paved the way for development work. Um, the, 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 the housing estates were called in Vietnamese literally new estate or new area. Um, they call them new area one, new area two, new area three, and, you know, we would you know, remove some areas of rice paddies, put in a water treatment plant or some um, aquifers to get the water supply, sort out the drainage. Uh, we built a 8 hectare lake, uh, which was a flushing lake that would flush uh, the stormwater drainage. All the uh, sewage in uh, Vietnam just goes to the drain and then to the river. So uh, we built this big lake and then a housing estate, of course, popped up next to the lake and what we built became the new part of the town. Um, so that put me in good stead to understand not just the engineering, but the development side. But then there was the micro activities. So uh, they set up a, a revolving microcredit credit um, system for septic tanks so that people could loan money to build their own septic tank and then repay the money over some time. Um, so we had a septic tank scheme. There was small, uh, micro-health improvements like laneways, drainage, um, even some small houses. Uh, I did attempt to, to set up my own um, NGO uh, and a, uh, a, uh, you know, a fundraising um, you know, scheme to try and build small houses uh, for people less fortunate. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen after multiple attempts due to many different reasons I won't go into. Uh, but I then just set up a, a, a small thing on the side. Uh, we'd give away uh, a ton of rice uh, every week. Uh, and just that was just throughout the team. Uh, there was so much poverty in the towns. Uh, but so many people, the Vietnamese are lovely people. Uh, they're amazing people. Uh, they do anything for you. Uh, and I really found, I found was so well supported. I mean, I can talk for hours about Vietnam in general and its history Uh, but openly you know the people were so lovely and to be able to go and do something for this town and improve you know things that a lot of people take for granted um, you know having public toilets um, having soap in schools uh, people understanding to wash their hands basic sanitation one of the main ones was uh, fish pond toilets uh, where People would just set up a, you know, like a bamboo um, toilet over a fish pond or a small dam. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, you know, would go to the bathroom in their pond. People would also fish in that pond. Uh, there's a microorganism that lives inside fish that can kill you. Uh, there was multiple deaths uh, and um, it was really something that at the, at the forefront was difficult to change people's minds. Um, and and drive change Uh, but I believe that we did that and we left you know and there's some projects there obviously there's that are still going Um, you know there's still people that don't have toilets in their home Um, and to see to see people after they'd built their toilet and you go have a look in their home and the bathroom was the most immaculate clean place you would ever see because they were so proud that their home had a toilet. Uh, you know, and just to see that and to see the look in their eyes and how proud they were, um, you know, that, that was life-changing um, And yeah, I mean look learning Vietnamese uh, at one point. I was very quite fluent in Vietnamese uh, I ditched my translators and just decided to go myself because they weren't saying what I wanted to say uh, So that was that was always fun. I've never really been good at languages. So uh, That was that was interesting and, yeah, I've forged some great relationships there and been back many times uh, and have uh, some small things running over there that are more just hobbies rather than, you know, hop, won't call them investments at all, but more things that, you know, can give you more joy than um, some other things can.
1: Coming up after the break. We learn about Flynn's transition from Vietnamese back to Australian life in a time that was stressful for everyone.
0: My manager asked, um, you know, would you be interested to go uh, to Vietnam and I had nothing to lose uh, so I decided to to go. Uh, Obviously, as I just got back to Australia, the, the GFC had pretty much hit.
1: He shares more on the fantastic and generous people he met on his travels,
0: his family, Yeah, so opportunistic. So they saw me in town. Um, I was in a small hotel. Uh, He put me in his house, mentioned that, you know, oh, would you be interested to rent a nice house? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. Like, I'm happy to do that.
1: He reveals a story from when he was renting that got the investment gears in his head turning.
0: When I worked out how much the total rent was, I'd said to this guy, hey, hold on a minute. If you're paying this, and I'm paying that and that room's this and those other rooms are probably that. That means that you're pretty much rent-free.
1: And that's next. I'm Taran Sharma and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey property investor, is your cash or equity currently earning you one to two percent per annum sitting in the bank? What if I said to you that you can do better? To find out more, simply register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest to get a high return with low risk on their money for 6 months. Register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. Delving deeper into Flynn's time in Vietnam. He explains when he was there and how culture shock didn't hit him until he got home.
0: Yeah, so this was 2005 to 2009. Uh, I was working on a large water infrastructure project uh, and my my manager asked, um, you know, would you be interested to go uh, to Vietnam and I had nothing to lose uh, so I decided to, to go. Uh, obviously as i just got back to Australia, the, the GFC had pretty much hit. Um, being in Vietnam and you know, after my volunteering um, program had shifted into a, a paid position, obviously working overseas um, you know, with tax implications, you know, not having to pay super, uh, there was obviously a lot of other things I was trying to do over there. It did put me in a good position. Uh, GFC, I think, hit everyone in different ways. Uh, I was fortunate I moved quite quickly uh, in what I was doing at the time and didn't get impacted as bad as others Uh, but yeah, the the timing was very formative Um, not just you know as I said professionally but definitely personally and I, I came back to find that reverse culture shock was a real thing.
1: With such different living conditions in Vietnam, did he find that once he came home, everything seemed easy in comparison?
0: Yes, it does put things into perspective. Um, even things as simple as sharing food uh, at the dinner table. I found when I came back, um, I couldn't understand why people weren't sharing food. Um, Seeing a bus for the first time, uh, that made me go, wow, that's right, there's buses. I forgot about those, um, you know, clean, you know, gas or electrical buses. Um, It definitely puts things into perspective and it does make you realise, you know, as as a country in Australia, how lucky we are. Um, On a lot of fronts uh, you know particularly with things like water supply and sanitation and yes it does make you um, you know listen to stories and people you know whinging or complaining about X Y Z and you just start thinking well if you realized how lucky you had it Um, the entrepreneurial spirit um, of the the Vietnamese my my driver was uh, I called him the Honda doctor Um, that was his name for mechanic and he, he used to buy and sell old motorbikes, sort of do them up and, and then and, and sell them on for a profit. And we did that for quite some time together, um, you know, and we, we shared, the, shared the spoils and I got to learn a bit about motorbikes, which was great. Um, you know, you see a guy who his family, you know, so opportunistic. So they saw me in town. Um, I was in a small hotel. Uh, he put me in his house mentioned that, you know, oh, would you be interested to rent a nice house? And I said, oh, yeah, sure, like I'm happy to do that. And his family went to the bank, borrowed the money, built me a house and then rented it to me and in the time that I'd spent there, they'd paid it off. Um, You know, so you can see that entrepreneurial nature and learn from that, Um, just being opportunistic uh, with what you can see in front of you. And the other thing I learned over there is that you just can't expect from others what you expect from yourself. Uh, And I learned that early on, Uh, something that I don't think a lot of people realize and it's something that you've got to take on, I think, early or acknowledge.
1: Flynn shares how he got into property development in the late 2000s after returning from his overseas travels.
0: Post-GFC was a great time to buy uh, there was uh, many incentives from the government, you know, first home buyers, uh, stamp duty was waived. Uh, there was, um, you know, mortgage insurance uh, was waived if you had obviously more of a deposit, which I think is still the case. Um, maybe not, depending on what your uh, loan structure looks like. And it was a good time to, to get into the market. Uh, I wish I'd done more at the time, uh, but... I believe I did enough to to get um, into a position, you know, where I am now, um, or at least my family. The phase for me was, um, you know, I I moved around a lot, and I just wanted somewhere to call my own, somewhere to hang up a painting or paint a wall or just do something. So really, my primary drivers for property was just as a home. Uh, it wasn't till um, you know I realized that. Um, you know, and openly, I had a housemate. Uh, I'd always been savvy with housemates and different rent structures. Uh, I lived in a house before I went overseas uh, that was demolished. Uh, it was a very nice, tidy parcel that uh, a developer had bought. And when I'd asked, uh, I'd moved from, so I'll digress, I'll talk to, before I went to Vietnam because it probably impacts on how I viewed property afterwards, but it was a five bedroom house. And i moved from the front bedroom, which was, you know, $140 a week to the back bedroom, which was $35 a week that leaked. And uh, I remember asking the guy that sort of ran the house because I was, you know, on Oz study, you know, I didn't, didn't come from much money and the, I had to get the rental, um, you know, statement to be able to get my Oz study and rental allowance and when I worked out how much the total rent was, I'd said to this guy, hey, hold on a minute. If you're paying this and I'm paying that and that room's this and those other rooms are probably that, that means that you're pretty much rent free. And he went, shh, you know, don't, don't tell anyone. What we'll do is we'll restructure this and we'll get people in and we'll, we'll, you know, and then that way and I'll give you a discount, you know, to $20 a week. So, I'd learned early that, you know, that was obviously maybe a a hustle. And, you know, I'm not saying that that was the right thing to do by any means. Um, But at the end of the day, the rents were fair. And he had a way that structured the deal that he got maybe something out of it. And I'd sort of tacked into that. And I also got something out of it. So, I had a housemate after Vietnam, you know, met my beautiful wife, uh, which then she'd come to move with us. And I said, well, you know, you've got to pay rent. Uh, and then realised that that was a sublease uh, because, um, you know, she was paying rent but there was obviously things around relationship and whatnot and I had a good accountant at the time and then I realised that there was, you know, certain write-offs and tax benefits to doing that uh, and that, you know, started me going, okay, hold on a minute, I need to take a step back and think about how, um, you know, not just managing money in investments whatever they might be but how I can benefit myself, um, you know, with my current investment property or my current property and how I can offset costs for that whether or not it's a new TV or a new kitchen or or whatever other works we did uh, on that particular uh, property.
1: Moving from his renting days to his property journey, Flynn delves into the story of his first investment.
0: The first investment really was... um, I was just looking around um, thinking that you know probably needed some more property Uh, wasn't really too sure and had a look at a few different places Uh, and there was I always say that you know and I talked about being opportunistic because you see something you like it it stacks up and you go I've got to do this you know this is the one this is the one and then you start seeing certain signs um, or you know you realize that potentially if it's you know and in this case uh, you know it was through an agent but uh, you know there wasn't much interest uh, and other properties where you know you could see that maybe you're bidding with someone else and uh, you could just start to get these signs or you know openly didn't like the agent (laughs) or they rubbed you up the wrong way even though something looked so great about this deal or what, what was in front of you um, and the the investment that I'm, I'm talking about, the way it played out was more around understanding that a certain area was um, going to be rezoned, uh, knowing that information, uh, having that um, sort of just knowledge um, that maybe obviously the owner didn't know about, otherwise they wouldn't have sold. Uh, and um, then by virtue of uh, and potentially um, luck, um, but also who you know. Um, there was a connection through someone I knew that knew the agent very well that then sort of fostered the ability to come in more directly with an offer. And, uh, you know, within, I think, you know, three hours had had a 66W and a check uh, ready to go and snatched up. Um, you know an absolute bargain. Um, It all happened very quickly, Uh, we've been looking for some time, nothing, you know there was a few things and there was obviously a lot of different competing interests and competing deals Uh, but this one um, just seemed to happen very quickly and very fortunately, um, you know we obviously signed it and, and got the deal done.
1: As he had been looking around for a while, what was it that drew him to this particular property?
0: You know, I always think, you know, this isn't a case of going, oh, you know, I'm going to go spend X dollars on this big home um, that's already there. You know, obviously always looking for uplift, uh, not just in value, but, you know, whether it's rental return or or otherwise. Uh, Anything that's likely to be rezoned um, or have uh, any uplift potential, whether it's um, a strata subdivision, dual occupancy, Um, or other, um, whether it's a, you know, a granny flat or anything. Um, We were looking in that space to find something that could be um, either further subdivided or or have some uplift um, into, you know, say some townhouses or whatnot. The area that I work in primarily is land subdivision and, you know, I do a lot of due diligence and you see and, you know, obviously you go off, if you, if you had more money, you'd go and do something out west or go do a, a subdivision out there and, you know, that's always been something that even when I worked out in the Northwest Growth Centre early in the early 2000s, um, you know, there were 10 hectare parcels, you know, going for a million dollars. Um, you, know, you can't believe that sort of um, dollar value now. I mean, it's just so long ago and, you know, who would have known that the, you know, foresight and, you know, all that, all that stuff. Um, but the, the thing that allured, uh, took us to the deal was really about knowing that this area was being rezoned um it's in it's in the, the north shore in, in sydney uh understand it wasn't gazetted it was just like a draft uh plan uh and it was one of those if if anything sort of came up in this area that was you know less than what future upsell value would be we're just gonna we'll just go for it um and we'll go quickly and something came up popped up in the the, the search And yeah, we we jumped on it as quick as we could.
1: Darren Flynn's story continues in the next episode of Property Investory. He divulges on a property he bought that has scared other buyers away.
0: By virtue of me having a background in engineering, I'm just fortunate that I could look at that and go, oh, no, this won't be a problem. Let's proceed.
1: He delves into how much family means to him.
0: It's all about legacy. Uh, Legacy uh, is, you know, something I never really comprehended uh, until um, my father died and, It was when I really understood the true meaning of legacy.
1: He shares the advice he's been given over time and what advice he would give to younger people today.
0: You know, I wouldn't say I was, you know, not frugal when I was young. I definitely wasn't because you didn't have enough money to be. But um, if you really can look at, you know, your, your fundamentals in life, take a step back from those.
1: And that's next time on Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short six months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040.